Welcome back, everyone, for episode 15 of the Zero Analytics Podcast. As the popularity of this thing grows, I've been asked several times how I find or decide who to have on. One of those ways is browsing through our Facebook page and checking out interesting people, their profiles, maybe some cool pictures that you have posted. Today's guest is an example of one of those people. I looked at his profile with a curious grin after seeing next to the pronunciation of his name the words, Macho Man. Oh yeah! I urge you to stop the podcast right now. Go to our Facebook page and check out a couple of the photos of Oddjob 2.0 and our guests to put some of our conversation in context. In this episode, we visit the Deep South and explore the journey of a racer from Mena, Arkansas. Dabbling with carts as a young kid and returning several years later to scratch an itch that never left. From designing his own graphics to making his own custom parts for his Imca Modified. This driver represents the sport well, and we had a great conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, my friend, Mr. Bradley Bush. One last thing before we get started. The connection we had wasn't the greatest. There are a couple spots where it's in and out, but overall, probably 95% of it, you can hear pretty good. So enjoy. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you making time uh, to come on here and then talk to me. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. That was pretty cool when you sent me a message. I kind of, always kind of thought it would be cool to be on a podcast, and somebody asked, but that was pretty neat. Yeah, and um, we just you know, we just met, actually just had our first little conversation, and one of the things that I think, you know, when I sent you the message, I was like, I wasn't sure if you were a little apprehensive because you were kind of wondering, like, why and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, like I just told you, I'm – I'm trying to follow my curiosity and I think um, getting outside the Southeast and the Delaware area and just talking to other people and um, kind of, you know, gaining from their experiences. And, uh, and we've talked a little bit about the racing you've done and the racing you do is, um, you know, you put a lot of thought into it. And so I think it's kind of represents a lot more of what karting is in general. It's not just the national series and the big money races. And, um, and like I said, man, I'm, I'm glad you made the time for us. And uh, so uh, let's see. So Bradley Bush and where you're in Arkansas now, correct? And where do you live in down there in Arkansas? Yeah, I live in Mena, Arkansas, a little town like kind of west central Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Not really close to anything, honestly. But gotcha. it, it is uh, Burdick Cylinder Heads is there and that's where I work. Gotcha. And how long have you worked there? I've worked there almost four years now. Gotcha. And um, as far as now, is that the home? So you grew up in that town as well, right? As far as me now. Yeah, yeah, I did. And my, my parents have worked there my whole life. Okay. My dad, uh, my dad works like back in the machine shop, and he he builds engines some now there. And uh, my mom works in the office doing like human resources. Okay, cool. And is your is your dad is that Bruce Bush? Yeah, that's Bruce Bush. That's my dad. Okay. And uh, and the reason I ask is um. As with all the guests, like I, you know, I Facebook stalk you for a little bit and looking through the pictures <laughs> and not. And there was an old photo, and uh, I think you posted it. And maybe like I think you tagged Bruce. I was assuming that was your dad. Are you the the kid that um, that's being held in the photo? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool, man. And uh, I know, I, like when uh, we talked to or when I talked to Jock Newsom, it was it was cool to see um, to see how involved people are, even at like a smaller age. Like um, it was almost destined for you to be in the racing community. You know what I mean? So it's cool to to see pictures like that. So that was cool. Yeah, it's pretty much been my favorite thing since I was just a little kid. My dad always raced stock cars when I was growing up. He's won a a million races. I mean, a a crazy amount of races in a stock car around Arkansas. And, uh, I mean, it's not just real big time, but as far as street stock racing, Bruce Bush was a pretty big name for there quite a while. And that's where I learned a lot of my stuff. That's cool. And so when you were younger, did you, uh, I mean, do you have work on the cars and go to the tracks? Is that when, did you want to start driving then? I mean, has it always kind of been around and it's just like, that's what you wanted to do or did you grow into that? Yeah. See, I, I guess when I was about like three, my dad wanted me to have a go-kart, but when you're about three, you're too little to really ride a go-kart too much. But he right. talked my mom into building the go-kart for me and they had, he had a few guys, they kind of went together. There was kind of a, like a local go-kart track around where I lived and 
several of them wanted to get get some stuff and they all kind of had you know, machine abilities and fabricating abilities and they kind of all went together and made like one guy would like make the axle hubs for the you know the sprockets and they they did a lot of the parts they made them together and one guy made the chassis and they made like five of these chassis and they were copied off of like a 90s model warrior go-kart one of those ones the first ones with like the adjustable fronts mm-hmm. and uh they they he built me a go-kart and so i was only like three and i didn't get to race it and he rode it some and he gave it to me when i was like around four or five and i just kind of got to ride it around the yard some and then uh i raced some with that until i was i don't know probably about eight and uh, raced around at like little local go-kart track and I really loved driving it and I would always go to the he had it at the same shop as his race car and I'd go over there when he'd working on the car I'd go over there and work around with my go-kart and I always I always liked working on it and uh, I'd like make little stickers for it I always cut little stickers out I kind of do my own graphics right now and that's kind of where that got started was I'd always cut little stickers out with scissors while he was working on the race car and I'd put stickers all over my go-kart and make it look cool I thought and go ride it around the yard he'd set out cones for me out in the yard to go ride it around and that's just kind of what i did my whole time i'd, I'd be at the shop every time he was there and i'd just kind of work on my own stuff while he's working on the car because I, I was kind of you know too little at the time to really help much on the car but i could mess around with my own stuff i gotcha that's cool and when you um so and i saw on uh, on the facebook you had a couple logos and stuff like that and that's that was something i was actually going to bring up and um and the other thing I was going to bring up is, uh, like, how much is it going to cost me to get, like, a smaller version of the uh, the caveman sticker on the side of your, your car? <laughs> I, I was like, you one of those. Yeah, man. I was, uh, there's a couple, like, Stephen Adams. I'm not sure if you've ever seen his T-shirts, but um, he has, like, a donkey. He's little donkey. His dad was donkey. So, they has, like, yeah. a, a donkey yeah. drinking the beer. And, uh, like, as soon as I saw, like, your your logo, I'm like, man, if that was on a T-shirt, that's one I definitely have to have. So, uh, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. You know? Um, yeah, that little guy is talking. Sorry to interrupt, but that kind of no, goes back to my dad. My dad had T-shirts back in, like, 1994, 1995. Brodick Cylinderheads had, a like, an advertisement, and that little guy was on the, uh, on the like, advertisement holding a cylinder head, and uh, he had the T-shirt people draw it up where it was holding a bone because his car had always said bad to the bone on it, and his first T-shirts, like, back in, like, 1993, 1994, said bad to the bone and had that little guy on there. So I kind of redrew them and put them on my car, and I added the sunglasses for me. It didn't have the sunglasses originally, and I added those for me. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I'm just kind of out of curiosity. Um, does he have a name? Like his his name is Odd Job. His name is Odd Job. I don't know where that came from, but that was his name when it was in the Brodix advertisement. Oh, that's hilarious, man. That's awesome. Odd Job. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to scoot this down. I write this on a little piece of paper so I can. Remember that. Yeah, but, a lot um, of people, you know, call him K Man or Macho Man or whatever. Yeah, his name is actually Odd Job. It seems like everybody's, everybody's favorite thing about my car. I don't think I can ever take it off now. Yeah, that's cool, man. And uh, what I was, and the, the funny thing is, is I was, as I'm looking at this and we hadn't talked yet, so I'm like, I'm kind of in my mind. I'm, I'm debating. I'm like, did, uh, did Bradley have like the long hair and the mustache? Kind of like look like the K Man first and then develop the little <laughs> guy, or did he grow into that? So now, kind of like. <laughs> It's putting it all together, like you've kind of like grown into that as well. So. Yeah, it kind of just it kind of just all went together. I never really thought originally that I looked like it or anything. I thought it was a cool <laughs> logo, and then I put the sunglasses on. I was like, "Why? Well, just kind of just looks like me." So it kind of just kind of works. Yeah, no, that's cool, man. I I like that. It's a cool little story. Huh? And uh, so and you you said that you grew up racing. Um, were, were all the tracks as far as where you race your go karts and stuff like that? Were they were they close by? I mean, were they a couple hours well, away? How, the thing was, is there was one, it was about 30 minutes from my house in a little town called Cove, Arkansas. This guy had it in his yard. I mean, it was like he had stands built and had a flag stand, and it was a pretty official little deal, but, I mean, it was just in his yard. That's kind of like a lot of the experience I've had racing go-karts, and we went over there and raced, you know, 20, 30 minutes from my house, and we go, like, every weekend. I was about five till I was about eight, and they had quite a few go-karts, and for whatever reason, the guy decided he wanted to close that track, and there wasn't really anywhere else, anywhere close to me, at least as I knew about the time. There wasn't, you know, Facebook or anything at the time. And so as far as I knew, as an eight-year-old kid, what my dad told me, I didn't have anywhere else to race. So just kind of didn't race much at all. And I just go with my dad and, you know, help him with his car, still play with my go-kart. But I didn't race much at all myself until I was like 19, 18 again. I didn't race till then again. I just helped him and I was around it the whole time. Like every year I always go, I've been to the Chili Bowl since I was, you know, a little kid every year and uh, go to the top West 100 and big races around like that and around Arkansas and Oklahoma, places like that. And I've always been around racing and known people that raced. And my dad builds engines for 
people's stock cars around and stuff like that. And so I've always been involved in racing, but I didn't race myself from when I was about eight. So I was probably 18 again. Okay. And so do you think, was it easier for you not to race and stuff? I know um, I was looking through some of your Facebook stuff again and, and I saw where you, you know, you're into hunting, it seemed like, and um, you know, you're into football, at least when you're in high school was, did that kind of help fill the gaps? Do you think it was easier for you to, to kind of just be around it helping than it was racing or? Um, yeah. And I, I think this goes for just a lot of kids and, you know, racing is like a huge popular sport, but like when you're in school and you're around that age, you're probably going to be about the only kid in your school that knows anything about racing or does racing at all. So, I mean, I played football and, you know, did about every activity you could want to do in high school and, you know, around that age, just, you know, like I'm from, I'm from Arkansas, so everybody likes to hunt. I really don't hunt at all anymore, honestly, but I was pretty into it at that time and just because that was just what everybody was into around me. And then mm -hmm. I got older and uh, I just kind of got where I could go back racing and that definitely kind of went to the front as my favorite thing to do at that point again. But right. just when you're growing up there, you know, there's so many activities you can do as a kid. I kind of see that with a lot of kids. They kind of got to skip other things at school to go racing. And I don't really think it's hurt me too much to have not race that much. But then again, you see the kids that are, you know, 14 years old and they've already been racing a go-kart for 10 years. And they're just crazy good at that point. And they can, you know, turn 18 and just get into a race car or whatever. But I don't think it's hurt me that much. But it's it's tough call on whichever way you go. But, yeah, I didn't race hardly at all. I just was kind of around it still. I gotcha. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points to that, man. And it's, it's something that, uh, my, my son just turned eight and uh, he's going to start getting into go-kart racing. And I've been trying to have a lot of conversations, um, that kind of centered around what you just said, like really, uh, not so much trying to pick the right thing for him to do, but not hold him back on what he wants to do. I know when I grew up, if I had a race or a sporting event, like I didn't have, I didn't have a choice. Like I had to go to sports because it was always, like, hey, when you're done playing sports, you can always race whatever. And um, and, and kind of like you said, there there are a few by the time, you know, they have uh, several thousand laps by the time they turn 14. But also a lot of those kids are burnt out by the time they're 16 and 17. Yeah. They miss so yeah. Much stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's, it is. It's like a fine line. So it's almost like you need to stay in it a little bit, but not like really dive into it until you really right. have the time. So. I feel like, I mean, I feel like I was pretty good because I always liked cars in general. Like, you know, I had a truck I worked on and, you know, it's whatever like that. I always worked on stuff in the shop, but I may not have been just racing, but I always worked on stuff and built stuff. And I've always been around stuff like that. And I think that's the key is just kind of have an interest in, you know, the mechanical part of it. And then the rest of it will come because a lot of those kids that race when they're little, they're just so little, they don't work on the go-kart or nothing at all. And then they don't really have much knowledge and they might not ever even get into where they work in to start working on yeah absolutely and there's you know frequently i'll ask on facebook or social media who they'd like to see and there's a couple names that come up that are really good drivers but i think people would be surprised if i actually sat down and have a conversation with them it's you know if you show up in your race like there's not a lot of the story in the history even like um just like what we're going to talk about like some of the things you're doing and you're into it's it's um like they're there to drive, you know what I mean? And they step away and that there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, there's just a difference in, um, in everyone's racing, you know, it's not how, how, you know, what series you run and how big you've gotten, but it's just about the effort you put into it and stuff like that. Right. And uh, I, I saw a photo from, I want to say Batesville motor speedway a few weeks ago where you were there and mm -hmm. uh, you snapped a photo of, uh, of old Bloomquist out there getting the checker. And um, yeah, like, just, just out of curiosity, I mean, you, you're obviously like knew where to be and stuff like that. I mean, do you, do you visit Batesville a lot? I mean, usually um, in the infield, um, stuff like that, or? Well, yeah, that's that's some of the, you know, the bigger races, mostly, you know, late models and modified and stuff is at Batesville around here or I-30 Speedway. But at Batesville is, you know, kind of the the mecca of Arkansas dirt racing. You know, the biggest stuff happens at the top list, and they had the hundred thousand win modified race and. Everything like that in the race trope now. Uh, I've just got some buddies that race late models, and I was helping him. And uh, we were actually sitting outside of turn four when we were watching the race. But we kind of helped him work on his car. His name's Robert Baker, and uh, he races kind of regional stuff for the Comp Cam Series late models. And just the race got over, and we saw that Scott won. I was riding with my buddy on his golf cart, and we was like, let's go over there and see the victory line. I mean, you know, Scott's – I really look up to Scott, and uh, I've always – thought he's like the best that's ever done it and he's such a smart guy and i look up to that you know he builds his own race cars and has his own stuff the way it goes that's kind of the way i like to be is to have my have 
my stuff exactly how I want it. You know, a lot of people call their chassis builder and just set it up like that, and that's the way they race it. That's fine. That works for a lot of people, but that's never really worked for me. And my setups are never really hardly like anything else anybody else runs. And I've got to do stuff to make my stuff work for whatever. If I put it like it comes in the factory, it's never the way I like it. And it seems like and I can always improve upon it. And I think that unless you know the concept of what you're working on and why you're doing the things you're doing, you're only going to be fast in a certain track condition. Like unless you know the, the reason you're making changes and setting it up like that, you're never going to be fast all the time. And that's the hardest part about racing the best part of racing you got to be able to figure out to be great how to make everything work like that. and that's how i feel like scott race that's kind of why i was in the lane like that because it's awesome to see scott win you know right absolutely and uh you know just speaking i mean i'm a big why person and not just the what as well so i mean that makes makes a lot of sense what you're what you're talking about when you got into so when you got into go-kart racing, I say back into go-kart racing, mm-hmm. when you're a little bit older, were you, did you kind of have a little plan, like you wanted to race for a few years, gain some just track experience, and then move up to stock car racing and kind of follow maybe the path of your, your father and stuff like that? Or were you just planning on getting in just go-kart racing and happen to evolve? How did that? Um, no, let me, let me tell you my plan. It's kind of a funny story. See, I, I tried to go to college. And I think it's like a lot of people in racing. I tried to go to college, and I hated it. I, wasn't, I didn't like it. You know, the kids in college weren't like me. Nobody knew nothing about cars. And I, I went for a graphic design degree. And I went for graphic design because I like doing race car graphics. And I'd already pretty much taught myself how to use Adobe Illustrator and stuff like that. And I thought, if I got this degree, maybe I'd get a job doing graphics somewhere or have my own business doing graphics or something. And, you know, you show up to class the first day, and all these kids are into art. And I don't care anything about art. I just want to make stickers from a race car. And it just kind of discouraged me. And, and I just pretty much quit going to class, you know, and you're, you're screwing around, looking on Facebook. And just for whatever reason, an advertisement for like a go-kart track about an hour and a half from my house popped up. And that was all I could think about. I, I had that go-kart still from when I was five years old in the shop hanging on the wall. And uh, that was all I could think about. Man, I can just take that go-kart out and go race these guys. And I used to be fast when I was a kid. I'll be fast again, put it together, and we'll go win. And uh, that was all I could think about. And I started, you know, coming up with fine ideas and stuff I could do. Went home and found every spare part I could find and put together a motor to run. It was a flathead, and all these guys have got these clone motors. And I don't know anything about that. Predators and clone motors, overhead valves. I mean, all we had used to have was the race, and I was a little kid. And I put together this flathead on a homemade go-kart, and we take it to the races and still got the tires from when it was when I was five on it. So, you know, good <laughs> work. And out on the racetrack and you get laughed about three times and you're like man that that ain't no fun and so <laughs> i quit college and i went to work at, a, at home and you know i'm not wasn't making much money but i found a uh, a frame a falcon firehawk on facebook and called up the guy and i went and bought it i think i paid like 300 bucks for it well i spent all winter time picking out the parts i wanted to go on it because i just got it in frame I had to get every part put on it built it exactly the way i wanted Same motor we had built for the home go-kart and we showed up the first week of the first week of racing the year at that same track we'd be getting beat at with that go-kart uh dan gave me a set of hoosier tires and i put them on there instead of used tires he gave me a set of, hey put these on so i put them on there and we pulled out for the first week we showed up with this new go-kart that looked awesome as far as i was concerned and we won <laughs> the heat race we won the feature by like a whole lap. We lapped everybody except like second place. I mean, it was crazy. And I was like, wow, you got the same stuff as everybody else got. And you put in some time, you know, it, it's like you can actually do some racing. And so from there, I was just hooked. I think we won like six or seven in a row. We won a crazy amount with that fire. And that's kind of what got me hooked. You put work in and you make stuff the way you want it to be and that's kind of what got me hooked on that part of racing gotcha um so when you when did you actually make the so how many years did you race go-karts until you jumped up to the stock cars and um when you did jump up to the stock cars were you racing both at the same time how was that working out yeah i think i raced the go-karts when i got back into three or so years three or four maybe, and uh, I was racing a go-kart, and I never expected anything, and it was around Christmas time, and the car that we ended up racing was one that uh, my boss 
across to the tire store now, and uh, we kind of helped him put it together, me and my dad, and he uh, was wanting to get rid of it, and I didn't know anything about it. My dad hadn't told me nothing, and I walked in the shop one day, and there was this race car that we could help put together in the shop. I was like, what, what's that? And he our car now. We're going to go racing. I said, well, that's awesome. So, yeah, so I, I, I kind of raced the go-kart and that at the same time for that year. Just raced some, you know, kind of limited to some, tested in the race car and raced it a few times and I even got an opportunity to win one time in the race car and just kind of raced them both and we just decided that we weren't getting what we wanted to out of the out of the stock car because the big races weren't run super well for stock car staff stuff and the class we were trying to run we just decided we we're going to cut our losses and my dad sold the race car and i sold about half of my go-kart stuff and uh Saved up as much money as I could, and I bought an IMCA modified, and that's when I went modified racing. It was kind of a, it was kind of a surprise deal. We started racing the car, and we had a good time, and we learned a lot, and uh, just went from there, and kind of probably jumped way too far, but jumped into a modified and tried to see if we could figure that out. That's cool. So, um, so you jumped into the the IMCA modified. I say IMCA. I don't know if it's IMCA, mm-hmm. whichever one's the, <laughs> yeah, the proper way. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. What um, so yeah, when you jumped you up to that, it. yeah. So when you jumped up to that, I mean you it obviously had to mean a lot to you because it sounded like you mean it took you some time. Like you wanted to save up the money. Like you were invested in it. Um, it's kind of what it sounds like. I mean, it's not just like someone's like, Hey, here's a ride, go jump in and see it. But um, it always seems like when the people driving it are kind of involved in the financial or even just the time and the effort, it, it always seems to work out a little bit better too. But um, it changes your mindset about it for sure. Yeah. I'll tell you about that. What kind of ruined me for it is we race that stock car all year kind of wanted to there was kind of where we're at there's kind of two different classes it's like a texas factory stock and like an arkansas factory stock and they're kind of similar rules but you know the little bit of slight differences and there towards the end of the year we started working towards more into the arkansas factory stock stuff and we went and raced at a uh, i-30 speedway little rock arkansas with, with factory stock like their last race of the year and uh i ran fourth in that class and Seeing at I-30 is like nothing I'd ever raced at before. I mean, every time you show up, and that was the first time I'd ever raced there, but every time you show up, the whole stands are full. You pull on the racetrack, and you feel like, I don't know how to describe it, but you feel like you're there putting on a show more than you're just going and racing for a trophy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You see all these people and watching you, and it kind of changes your idea. And we were there we were there racing the factory stock, and I ran fourth, like had an awesome run. And I was like, wow, I guess all these guys that are really good at I-30, I got to run fourth. And... uh I'd watched the modified class when we were there, and they always raced last at I-30. That's like kind of what they've always, like their brand burner, I guess. They've always raced modified. All the biggest drivers, you know, that you see people pull out on the modified, man, that's that guy, that's this guy, that's Randy Weaver. And, it's, you know, these, these, all these people in the stands know everybody in the modified class. And I thought, man, I want to be that. You know, I want to be the class that everybody sees these guys. And I was like, I don't know if I can afford it or if I can do it or learn how to do it, but that's what I want to run. If I want to race, that's what I want to run. So I spent a lot of time looking for a used car. I kind of had an idea of what, what kind of your model I thought would be good. And spent a lot of time looking for a used car and finally found one that I thought I could afford. And we went and, you know, me and dad kind of helped me a little bit on the money from stuff you have in the race car. And I saved up money from go-kart stuff I'd sold. And we put enough money together and went and bought that modified. Pretty much spent all winter, bought like a, bought a race-ready car without a motor and spent all winter taking it all apart and putting it back together the way we wanted it to be. And was that how many years have you been racing the uh, the MK modified now? This is my second year in a modified, and honestly, I'm pretty fortunate to have had the runs that I've had in the modified so far with the competition I've had, and it's just it's the toughest thing I've ever done, and that's what likes makes me like doing it so much. I mean, go karts are real technical, and the racing the modified is just technical, but with about 20 different more categories you can adjust on. Right, absolutely. <clears throat> so how let me. See. If you can remember, like, kind of think back when when you kind of ran into, or if you ever did, I guess, like, a, a bad stretch as far as racing goes, like, what's some of the first things you used to look at on the go-kart or just there? And kind of, like, how does that compare now? Like, I mean, I know you have a lot more to choose from, but, like, when you, you know, like, with the modified you have now, when you get into, like, a bad stretch and you just feel like maybe you're just doing the same thing, what are some of the things that you look at now compared to like go-kart wise when you do get in a little bad stretch? Yeah. And I think that kind of thing happens to everybody. It's just one of those things you start racing and it gets to be middle of summer and you know, the 
go-kart or the cars is pretty good. And I think it happens to me every year. It seems like I have like a middle of summer slump. It's like you start real good, and it seems like, like to me by the time we get to like middle of July and early August, I just kind of – the go-kart will be – pretty good and you don't want to change too much on it because you're having it pretty good and you kind of start falling off and other things like it seems like other people start getting fast when that starts happening i just try to take it to the shop put it on the floor you know measure your frame heights measure everything you have down compare it to your notes and see what's changed that you might have disregarded you know you might have been adjusting off of what you started out at because you had a problem and you're trying to band-aid something else and kind of just like to set it on the floor Look at it. Make sure nothing's in a bind. Just go over your basic stuff. I mean, and that's one. I mean, sometimes I just like, you know, buy a new set of spindles. I may not think there's anything wrong with my spindles. So I just buy the spindles. Or something might be worn out you're not thinking about. So just kind of, if you just spend a little bit of money and get some of the easy replaceable parts, put new bearings in it. And do that in kind of the middle of the summer when you get, because everybody gets in that stretch where they're just taking it all the time and they're probably not doing the maintenance on it they should every week because it's been good. And you, and you unload it and you won or you ran good. You're not thinking about taking it apart and checking it all over. At least I'm not a lot of times. And so get to that spot. And some guys will just keep racing like that or put some new stuff on it and take it back again. But when I get to a spot like that and I feel like I'm not up to par, I like to just take it home and take it apart about halfway and make sure that everything is good when you put it back together. And then as long as that takes until you can afford to have all the parts put it back together where you know it's good again, I'll just sit out. I'd rather sit out than not be as good as I could be. And that's kind of where I'm at with my race car right now. I hadn't raced in four or five weeks or so. Just I've had a pretty good car, but it wasn't good enough to win. But you hate to just re-engineer it, and that's kind of where I got. I was tired of tired of running in the middle or top five. I'm trying to win one, so I kind of took it in the shop and kind of went back to the drawing board and tried to come up with some new stuff that maybe we can get a winning car. It's just kind of in the middle of summer. It happens to seem like to me every time. Right. Um. Why do you think that is, out of curiosity? I mean, because it seems like it's a consistent. I mean, is it? Um, I mean, I think something that a lot of people don't spend enough time on, and I, just because I have a little bit of a background in it, but um, like he's really like diving into like the soil structures and um, like just the profiles of the soil and the weather and the mm-hmm. moisture content and stuff like that. And it seems like because just like you're talking about, I mean, a lot of the you know a lot of like local go kart guys and even us like on the higher level at that time. You just, it does, it's like when the seasons change, like, so does everything else. And it's like, if you just, if you miss it, or uh, there's been a couple of times that we have really good runs in the spring and we take off three weeks, but in that three weeks, all of a sudden it's 90 degrees and dry yes. and it just, it's, and it takes so long to kind of get back on track to make those incremental steps to get to, you know, everyone thinks you can just right. go from fifth to first, like really you got to go from fifth to third and then third to second. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just so incremental and hard. Um, uh, so, it, it, I think you got a point there. Like the seasons change, the track gets slicker when it gets hot, or it might get faster because it got hot and dried out and got abrasive, and you don't know which way it's going to go. And it, it almost always seems like, and I've experienced this several times, it's kind of like a light switch week. Like, say you won last week and you did this, so you bring it back and do the exact same thing next week, and now you're 10th. And you didn't adjust anything because you were pretty good, and some other guy in the back was working, and he adjusted something and got himself better. And it's kind of like, you you got to be able to incrementally, like you said, always be, you're always racing yourself and you can't ever be content with where you're at. And I think everybody falls into a rut of, well, we're pretty good, so we don't need to improve a lot or I don't know where to go. Until you start getting beat, you don't know what to improve on because you don't know where you're getting beat by, if that makes sense. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I, just little conversations like this, I hope the people that are sitting around that are either into it or in a bad rut or just getting into it realize that, um, it's not changing, you know, at least for go-karts, it's not changing four washers and three weights or, you know, it's, no, no. it's checking your stagger. It's, um, you know, a half pound of air pressure, one wipe of whatever you're using right. and stuff like that. So I, and I'm sure I, it's I learned, bit... I learned a lot. The, the, the best things I ever do is like, you know, you're rolling up the grid and you're pushing your go-kart on a stand. Say this guy just out running in the heat race, glance over what rear gears he got on it. He got a 65 and you got a 62. Maybe you should make a change for the next race you pull out on. I mean, you know, just, just kind of use your eyes and what's available. And you can ask guys, but I think I kind of believe in you should try to try to figure things out for yourself because there's guys that work hard to get where they're at. And I mean, I don't mean go over there and lay under the go-kart with a flashlight and a tape measure. 
But if you just kind of glance over and, you know, look and see, hey, this guy's doing something way different than what I'm doing, and he's beating me. Maybe I should kind of work towards that. And I don't mean go buy his go-kart or buy a go-kart just like his. I mean, just kind of think about why. If he's running more gear than me, then why do I need to run more gear? What's that going to help me? And you just kind of got to think about why they're doing what they're doing and why they're outrunning you. And I learn a lot just from looking because, I mean, some guys have worked so hard on getting their stuff right, and you ask them, they might tell you something totally different. Not everybody's like that, but somebody might tell you that, or somebody might tell you exactly what they're doing. And what they're doing, you put on yours, and it don't work the same because you drive it different. You got to think about why they're doing it and how that would help you is what I think is a lot of people don't read in far enough is they just want to be able to bolt on something and go fast or order a part and go fast or wipe this prep and go fast. And it's not really like that. I mean, there's 100 different combinations if there's 100 different go-karts, and all of them will be fast at some point. It's just finding what works for you at what time and knowing what time is when you know how. Right. Nah, I say all the time, like, you know, everyone can, if like you said, there's a hundred different combinations. Everyone can be right and everyone can be wrong all at the same time. You know, it's, yes. it's just whatever's working for them. Uh, so let's uh, like kind of sticking around like the, the racing stuff. And um, a little bit beforehand, uh, I know on Facebook you posted um, a little while ago, there was, I want to say it's the Pharaoh machine. Um, yeah. Can you just tell me a little bit about it? I just, this is something I really found interesting. Um, like some of the parts that, you know, you make some of the parts for your chassis and, and stuff like that. I just, could you just tell me a little bit about your background with that? And um, Well, that Pharaoh arm is, I use it at work. I work at Brodick Cylinder Heads. And what it is, is you can use it to digitize parts. Like we've been in business for a long time. We started making heads in the seventies and, since then, you know, back then there wasn't any kind of digital stuff like everybody does now. Everybody talked about CNC porting and CNC stuff. Our stuff was back around before that. So, you know, there was guys out there hand porting stuff. And it got to be the time that other companies were, you know, improving their stuff to where they could do it on the computer and be faster. And so we kind of had to keep up. And from there, we got to be able to digitize what has been done by hand that's worked well. And so we take a lot of our stuff and, you know, you can fine tune a port to where it's really good with a with a hand porter that knows what he's doing and then i can take that and use that pharaoh arm to recreate it on a computer and make a hundred of them just the slant just the same on a cnc machine use that to you know recreate what you can perfect by hand if that makes sense that's what i do for for a living and yes yeah i use some of that experience and i mean that's what i, I learned a lot of stuff from my dad and I've taught a lot of it myself as far as computer-wise, but my dad kind of gave me the ideas and put it in my head that, you know, I've never had as good of a race car, good of a go-kart as nobody else. I've never had a brand-new go-kart, and I've raced against a lot of brand-new go-karts, and I've done pretty well against them, I feel like. And I've never had anything brand-new like that, and I've always had to take something and make it better, and I've never been able to afford to just open up the catalog and order everything I want. So, you know, at, at my shop, my dad has a, a mill and a lathe, and I use those, and he helps me, and he's kind of taught me how to use a lot of the stuff. And I make a lot of the parts for my race car or for my go-kart. Like, if I need just some kind of part that I can turn on the lathe, I'll make it instead of ordering it if I've got a material to make it with. And that way I can make it exactly how I want it and make it fit right because, you know, sometimes you order something out of the catalog, and it won't fit anyway, and you got to adjust it. So I build a lot of my stuff myself and i can save myself money and afford to have nicer by kind of i don't know refurbishing older stuff that not necessarily out of date but you just some work to to get it back up to the spec of the newest a lot of people don't realize that you can do that you can build your own stuff you don't have to just order everything no absolutely and um i know when i was talking to um to Jock Newsom, which I, I think you know of him a little bit, and um, yeah, yeah, he was he was he was pretty excited when I talked to him one day about uh, yeah, I think he found like a nice lathe, a nice used one on uh, like Facebook Marketplace or something like that, and it was like to him. I mean, I've never used one to be honest with you. It's always something like I wish I would have and stuff like that. But um, mm -hmm. but it, it's cool, man. It's um, you know, it's uh, it's pretty cool that you can uh, that you know how to do that and you're doing that. And is that is there? Just kind of like thinking outside the box, not to get you in trouble at work or anything, but have like, do you ever have you thought about maybe even um, being able to do something like that on the side, like custom parts for racing? Is that something you'd be able to like? Yeah, I mean, is that I've something you want to pursue? Before, I guess. But I thought about that before, and I don't know that the guys that make the catalogs do a great job. A lot of the stuff I make, I might look at something of theirs and kind of change it to the way I want it to be. But those guys do a great job, and 
I mean, I can't really compete on the volume scale or whatever, but I think where I like doing it is less, you know, producing or making stuff as a side business and just making something that'll work for my car the way it needs to be. Like, I don't think I could ever get into a brand new race car and go the next week and be fast in it because it would take me at least six months to get everything off that they put on and put it back the way I wanted it to. <laughs> I mean, that sounds bad, but they're very smart guys that, you know, make all this stuff and just sometimes it don't work for me and I got to sit down and say, Hey, I want an adjustment here. Like just the other day I made a chain adjuster for my car that wasn't really like anything else. It was something that I'd be able to get faster. And it's just, I don't know. I like to just fine tune, I guess what it fine tune and make things that work for me. Right. No, man. It, and it sounds like, um, I mean, obviously you love racing in general, but it sounds like you, you absolutely have that passion for all the other little things that are part of the process to get to the races and stuff like that. And, um, you know, that's cool. I, I think, I mean, there's yeah, a lot you, of people like that, you know, that with maybe they don't know how to do the things you know how to do, but definitely in, in the process of it. And um, so that, right. that's cool. and I, I mean, uh, you, you're talking about Jock, and I listen to your podcast with him, and I talked to him some of the past, and it's funny. I mean, I talked to him, but not necessarily about stuff like that. And listen to his podcast, and Jock thinks a lot like I do. And he works, you know, Roush Yates and does that cool stuff. And I've talked to him about racing and stuff in the past. And it's crazy how, you know, that that, that kind of thinking is, seems like it's uncommon, I think. But then there's some guys that think just like you. And I, I kind of look up to Jock a lot about that. Is, you know, he got an awesome job with Roush Yates like that. And I think he has the same kind of like I am is, you know, he build engines and build your own stuff. It just kind of changes the way you look at what you're doing instead of just buying everything. No, absolutely. And uh, like I said, the last... The last two or three years when I raced, there was a local guy around, Gary Trice, that, um, I mean, that's, I basically worked and then went down there and helped him build chassis and, um, you know, just like built the jig for and everything. And uh, not that it was anything great, but, um, you know, the first time I rode it, it's like, I just kind of felt like it, it was just a whole different feeling. You know, I, I know uh -huh. you know how that, I know you know what that means, but a lot of people never will. And, um, but I'm sure it's probably similar to the guys that build their first engine and go out there and race and stuff like that. So, um, oh yeah. Yeah. It just changes the way you look at it. I mean, best way to put it, is, like you said, is changes the way when you sit on it and ride it. It just feels different than if you just bought it and sat on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of compare it. I mean, I grew up on a farm too, and it's almost like eating eating something from your garden or something you've grown and put time into, mm -hmm. or probably a, a carpenter that builds his own house. It's just there's that sense mm -hmm. of uh, satisfaction that it's you can't really buy. You know. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And I, and I feel like, I feel like a lot, a lot of times the people, um, I say people, I'm like kind of making like vast generalizations, but a lot of times the people that are racing on like a higher level, like that are, you know, renting the rides or not really involved, like the kids and stuff, it's without that emotional connection there, it's, it's hard to really have a hundred percent given because, um, there's, there's really nothing lost if you don't do good or if you wreck or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And I don't know any you know specific names or anything, but you see people that go out, like you said, have a rental ride or stuff. And it seems like a lot of times those are the guys that end up causing a caution or causing a wreck. You know, the people that haven't necessarily worked on their stuff and know what it takes to put it together don't really understand what it takes when you tear it up to get it back where it was at. Or, you know, what the other guy that you just ran into might have done to his to make it as good as it was. When you just go buy it or pay for it or somebody, I mean, nothing against some of the sponsors. Having a sponsor, but the guy that you know just can get in it because whatever situation put them there, which is great, but they don't think about the consequences of things they do or you know to even their own equipment. If they were you know somebody like me, what it would take to get it back to where they had it, because it may have been a part that they made by themselves. It was just one of them, and you have to make another one and be three weeks where you can get it back together the way it was before. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, what are I mean, you've been racing for a while as far as, you know, go-karting and been around it before then and stuff. What are what are some of your favorite memories um, in racing in general? I mean, it doesn't have to be go-karts. It could be your racing, uh, racing back with your dad, um, at work. Uh, any things that kind of stick out to you, um, you know, related to racing over the years? That uh, I don't know. Still my, still my favorite racing memory is winning a modified race at I-30 Speedway. Like I said, I mean, every every time you go there, the crowds and it's just it happened. At, I wasn't expecting to win my first year out because it's one of those things that 
every night they open the gates, there's 30 cars, and 20 of those cars can win the race. And there's hardly ever repeat winners and stuff like that. I mean, there'll be guys, uh, 10, 10 different winners in the year. I mean, sometimes somebody will get a run, but there'll be you know a bunch of different winners. There's a lot of good, good drivers that race there. And it, I don't like, if you're going to race modified anywhere close to here, I-30 Speedway is where they're the best ones at consistently. And I won a race last year, and it was kind of, it, it rained, and but it didn't rain out. And we had, they made us pack the track two separate times, and we got it rolled in. And, and it, what made me happy about it is me and my dad did some stuff to the car that probably shouldn't have worked, but freed it up enough in the mud like that that other people didn't think about just because we went back to fundamental stuff that he's been doing on stock cars since you know back when he raced in the 90s and used some fundamentals and some thinking and kind of outsmarted all of the uh, big equipment for that one night and it was kind of you know you're not that you come up with something that worked for your car and it might not ever work again but you adjusted on you to get it be better than everybody else's stuff, no matter how much money you spend on it. And winning a race at that racetrack against the competition that I was against is definitely my favorite race in memory because it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's got to be pretty rewarding, man, to do that. And um, as far as your racing, say, like now through the next few years, um, do you yep. plan on sticking in the IMCA modified? Do you are, what, like, what, do you have any plans? You just kind of see what well, happens? Well, I mean, everybody likes to think you have plans or whatever, and I don't know. I would like to keep racing IMCA modifieds and trying to get better because there's a ton of competition in those. I, I just think that's one of the best things going right now as far as competition, and there's a lot of people doing it. And Obviously, every kind of race is expensive, but modified racing is less expensive than a lot of people think it is just because the cars are, in, are similar to a go-kart in that they're they're race cars and meant to be race cars versus stock cars, and they're easy to work. The go-kart thing around me, I love doing it, but it just, there wasn't a whole lot of, hey, there wasn't a lot of competition, but there just, there's not a lot of room for advancement, I guess you'd say, around me. If I was in North Carolina, I might still be racing go-karts, but where I'm at racing the modified, it seems like the, the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity to kind of get yourself noticed and be able to move up to be able to maybe race a late model or something one day. But that's, that's all I can afford right now is race modified. That's what I'm trying to do is just get enough experience and learn how to be good enough that I don't know. I, I don't really care what I'm racing. As long as I can race the rest of my life and something is what I'd like to be able to do. And that just seems like the best competition and the most challenge for me right now is to run a modified because there's so many good drivers and so many people doing it. I gotcha. And you were, um, you know, it does cost a lot of money. I know you had a couple sponsors on there. Um, like, just, like, maybe just in general, I mean, how, as far as sponsorship goes, like, how do you approach that? Or are they generally people that you know or your your family knows? Is this people you well, just kind of... I've had some of both. I mean, Vertex helps me out. I work there. My family has worked there. They help me out with engine stuff. You know, we use a dyno. The, my boss so she owns the engines in my... Uh, we're kind of trying to, you know, hang with the crate stuff that everybody's big on. We're trying to kind of research development on that, and they help me with that. But the biggest way I think that people go with sponsorship wrong is, like, for instance, uh, Team Smallwood, Mina Real Estate, Remax sponsors me. And the guy came to me, and he said, hey, what's it going to take to get my name on your race car? And, I mean, that was just awesome to me. That's the first time somebody asked me about sponsoring my race car. I said, man, we can make a, make a deal work out. And, you know, after he did that, I, I'm appreciative of it. So I try to promote him. And, you know, he, he's kind of said, he's told me before, he said, you know, man, that's awesome that, you know, you, you help me out, you know, while I'm helping you out. I think a lot of people look at it backwards that, you know, I need money for my race car, so you need to sponsor me. I think that the key is to when you approach somebody, you got to think about, you know, if you have a following, like if you have 4,000 friends on Facebook, that's 4,000 people you can tell about their product or whatever it is they do. And you got to think about how you're going to benefit them because, I mean, they could spend their money and go buy cheeseburgers or go buy toys for their kids or whatever. But if, if you can benefit them by getting your Facebook audience to know who, who they are and what they do and why they need to do business with them, it helps them out to buy more kids' toys for their kids and, you know, things like that. And then that's why they want to sponsor your race cars because they like watching you and you can help them out that's that's even better because you know a lot of guys i think just think that people will just want to sponsor them because of who they are because they need to race and they need help i think that people look at it backwards a lot yeah no i agree i think 
I think a lot of times, and uh, just, I mean, there's a lot of stock car tracks around here and stuff. And I think a lot of people think, well, hey, if I'm going to get you know, whatever, if it's a hundred bucks or 10,000, like, hey, it's just, if you can see it on the side of my car every Saturday or every Friday, that's good enough. And I just think that, like you said, you can really offer like real value. And not to say you're going to get like a hundred thousand dollar sponsor, but I mean, maybe just have someone that, you know, pays for your tires for the year, but you know, maybe you put a little bit of time into a Facebook post like every couple of weeks and it just, uh -huh. there is value there. I just think that the old, like kind of like the old model and stuff like that, there's not a lot of value just having it on yeah, the side of the car anymore. Term, uh, marketing partners kind of makes sense. I mean, cause you have something to offer them and they have something to offer you. and one of the two may be bigger than the other, you know, your sponsor may be bigger than, or you may be bigger than sponsor, whoever you are, they don't, you know, but the thing is, you got to think about that you're trying to help them out as much as they're trying to help you out because they're sponsoring you for a reason, and it's not necessarily just to see their name on a sticker as you're running around in circles. Right. Well, that's good, man. I, you know, I just like I said the first time we've talked, and I, I think that you know with the just like the look that you have and the the time you put into even just thinking about the way your car looks and stuff. Like I mean, I can tell. I think most people that have like giving a, a little bit of thought to any of that can see like the thought process that goes into it. And um, I mean, you're well-spoken, like, it's not like you're just showing up and racing. I mean, you're, I, I feel like you're, you're opening a lot of avenues that, you know, for me, I know that at one point, like I really wanted to race and all of a sudden I was like, oh, well, I can get paid to go do tires and well, I'll go do that. And I think that you have a lot of avenues open to you, not only just driving. So I, I think that more and more people need to put people in their stock cars or go-karts that, understand what goes on behind the scenes and, and can kind of communicate that and make the team better as opposed to just showing up and turning left, you know? Yeah, I think so. Cause I mean, this is going to, this is kind of an extreme, you know, but you know, you, you kind of think about it. There's people and everybody's got somebody name in their mind that thinks, Hey, that guy shouldn't be in a race car. You know, he's not very good. Well, the thing is in today's world, or that girl shouldn't be in a race car, that guy should be, whoever it is, everybody has somebody in their mind. For whatever, whatever reason, those people put them in there for something. I mean, they're marketable for some reason. You know, if they have some kind of something about them, they can market for themselves. That's why they're in there. I mean, you don't necessarily have to be good to drive a race car in 2019. That sounds bad, but that's kind of the truth. If you're good, that's a bonus. There's people all the time that are really good race car drivers that don't have a ride. And there's somebody that's marketable that maybe not is as good. And has a sponsor because he's marketable, and maybe that's in it instead of that guy. Yes, I agree. And uh, I mean, even with uh, there's a couple people um, that I follow, like that race Imco Modifieds on Instagram and stuff like that. And um, it is like it's becoming like you know in the mentions or T-shirts or product placement. It's all it's all kinds of stuff that's going into it and. Not a lot of people think about it, but a lot of people just kind of shut off the fact that they're even going to get sponsors. So, um, you know, right. so I, I think I said, you don't necessarily have to be good to drive, but the ones that are really good are the ones that are marketable and are good. I mean, look at Rico Abreu. You got the guy with the mullet, drives a sprint car. Awesome. Everybody loves him. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Christopher Bell. I mean, perfect race car driver. He doesn't do anything wrong as far as anybody can tell, and he's an awesome race car driver. Markets himself and put himself in that position. He came from, you know, Oklahoma, racing small time stuff, and now he's where he's at just because he marketed himself and got there. The guys that can do both are the ones that are truly good and end up being good. And the ones that just can market themselves are the ones that race for a few years and fizzle out. And the ones that can't market for themselves are the ones that end up just racing local and racing what they can afford because they don't know how to market themselves into a ride that's bigger than what they have. Because that's what it takes these days, unfortunately, that your skill is pretty less important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, damn, man, we've uh, been talking for a little bit. Is um, kind of want to start bringing to a close. Um, are there, as far as um, anything else that you wanted to kind of relate to anyone listening? Um, any thoughts on just carding or racing in general? I mean, anything that you ponder about or think about that you want to throw out there in the uh, the podcast sphere? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll, I'll say this. I think about this kind of stuff a lot. Like you were saying, you kind of sit in the shop and look at your tires or whatever. I spend a lot of time just sitting in a chair in my shop just looking at my race car and thinking about it. And one of the things I think about a lot of race car or whatever it may be, even if you won last, if you show up next week with the same thing you had last week, 
if there was 30 other people you're racing against, those other 29 had fixed something else on theirs and improved. So you may be second now if you didn't improve anything on yours. So every time that you take the car, take the go-kart, and you haven't improved on something, you're doing yourself a service and you're at a disadvantage because everybody else is trying to catch you or you're trying to catch everybody else. If you think you can just take it back and not improve on something, you're not going to improve the way you think you're going to. I mean, you have to improve something constantly because everything is constantly changing at any level of racing. Go karts, I mean, whatever it is, go karts, race cars, anything. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, in closing, if anyone wanted to contact you, um, I will definitely tag you and, and probably steal some of your pictures from Facebook and posts and stuff like that. But um, other than Facebook, is there anywhere else that uh, people can find you if they want to kind of keep up with your racing and get in contact yeah, with you? Uh, Maybe. I'm on Instagram at BradleyBush92 and Twitter at BradleyBush92. I don't, I don't tweet a lot, but I'm on those two things. I post on Instagram photos, but Facebook's the best way you can follow me for my racing. Just add me as a friend on there. And uh, that's the best way you can follow my racing. So I pretty much post everything I can think of about racing. That's about all I like to do. <laughs> cool. Well, that's good, man. Well, um, you know, I certainly do appreciate your time. And uh, I actually, I'm going to um, get some T-shirts made up here. And I'm kind of working on it right now, trying to find the right one and stuff. But when I do that, I'll uh, gladly trade you a T-shirt for uh, one of your stickers. Uh, so we can definitely sounds uh, awesome. need this. Man, I appreciate yeah, man. it. Yeah, sounds awesome. No idea. Well, uh, like I said, man, we'll we'll talk a little bit after this, but um, we'll go ahead and uh, close it out here as far as the conversation goes. I'll post links to all of his stuff, and uh, definitely, you know, in my opinion, just some of the posts, like with your work and stuff like that, it's it's worth a follow if you're into racing. I think you could probably learn a little bit, and uh, you know, from my point of view, you're still early in your manufacturing slash racing career, and I think that it'd be just kind of cool to see where you go and kind of where you end up because I I feel like it's um, you know, it's wherever you're going to want to go is where you'll be. So I wish you luck. It's a lot better. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, if you found value in the conversation you just heard, reach out to the guest. Um, let them know how much you appreciate it. A lot of times people have follow-up questions. I think everyone that's been on here shared uh, at least their Facebook. So it's pretty easy to find them. And if you like the show, tell a friend about it. Um, listen to it with somebody on the, like on the way to a race or on the way home from a race or at the shop. Uh, it doesn't matter. Just let somebody know and like us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or probably anywhere else you can look on there. But um, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much.